Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex here of BTN and we're back with another episode of the Take 10 Podcast from home as we continue to deal with the fallout from COVID-19 pandemic and hopefully provide some uh, content to nice distraction during uh, the craziness outside. And, and it's weird because for me, I've actually found myself falling behind in all podcasts and, and audio content I listen to just with no commute to take each and every day to and from work. Uh, that's when I knock out most of my listening to podcasts. And, and now you know things are just stacking up and I have to pretty much use the weekend to catch up on all my normal uh, podcast listening that I do during the week. So hopefully that's not the case with Take 10 Podcasts and you get a chance to tune in because we're actually turning out more content than usual. We've got a couple episodes that are going to come out back to back here, including this one. And this episode's a fun one. It's a interview with a very prominent basketball coach and a pretty big name in the world of college basketball, Tim Miles. You know him as the former coach of Nebraska basketball, current Big Ten Network and Fox Sports 1 TV analyst. And Tim made a name for himself by being a very good conversationalist and interviewee and also a a pretty good head coach during his time at Nebraska as well. So have a fun 30, 35 minute conversation with Tim coming right up. He's got a lot of good stories, a lot of great insight. And uh, it's a Tim Miles that, that we know and love from from TV and from the sidelines. So uh, he's great. And then we actually do something a little bit different with our second interview. And I'll get into it more when I introduce him following Tim Miles' interview. But it's an interview with uh, one of our senior staffers at BTN. His name is Bill Friedman. And he explains some of the production uh, decisions and strategies that are taking place now during the unique time for our company and, and for... Uh, for the world in general, the sports world, and he describes how his department is affected and and he, uh, as the creator and senior coordinating producer of one of the prominent shows on the network, BTN Journey, he uh, describes how that show has adapted and and is doing some unique and cool things on air um, during the, the pandemic. So... Talk to Bill after Tim, but we'll get to Tim right now. It's the Take 10 podcast discussion with former Nebraska head coach, current TV analyst, Tim Miles, and here it is. I'm very pleased to be joined by former Nebraska head coach, current BTN Fox basketball analyst, Tim Miles. Tim, first of all, how are you holding up? I see you flashing the Cardinals shirt at me, so you're already antagonizing me here. We're off to a great start. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Alex. It's good to see you guys. You know, it was just a couple of weeks ago, we were all together in the in BTN uh, uh, studio doing our deal, and we thought it was crazy that we weren't getting to go to Indianapolis to watch the Big Ten tournament, and, and now look. Yeah, it's crazy how it's all kind of blown up, um, like you said, in the last two to three weeks here. Out of curiosity, um, you know, for those who are just listening and they can't see us right now, we're doing a Zoom video call, so that's how I saw your Cardinals shirt. Where do you live? Are you guys in St. Louis Cardinals country? I feel like you're out kind of uh, west of here, right? We are in, um, uh, I grew up in South Dakota. We're, we're still in Lincoln, Nebraska. My daughter's still at the college. My, my uh, son is a freshman, going to be a sophomore in high school. We decided to stay for a year and then see where the jobs took us. <laughs> and then the job market, you know, dried up appropriately. And, and so we have another year of contract yet. So we're going to just see what the summer brings and, uh, and make a decision from there. But no, I grew up listening to the St. Louis Cardinal games with my father uh, in Dolan, South Dakota. We listened to KMOX about dark uh, when we could get the uh, the broadcast from about the fifth or sixth inning on and listen to Jack Buck and all the fellas, Mike Shannon and all those guys. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, it's crazy how many St. Louis Cardinals fans, Atlanta Braves fans, and Chicago Cubs fans there are just because those were the uh, the signals that people got in middle America growing up. I'm a Cubs fan because my, uh, my grandpa and dad are big fans, but yeah, pretty much my grandpa was the, uh, the guy who kind of injected it into our family bloodstream. So, you know, we'll, we'll try and get along here throughout the rest of the broadcast, but we're already off to a bad start. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> uh, you kind of touched on it there. It's weird because someone like you, you're in a unique position because the coaching carousel kind of ground to a halt 
really suddenly. Um, I don't know if you had anything lined up. You probably couldn't talk about it if you did, but what's it been like just being a coach that is looking for, you know, potential employment? Luckily you have the TV deal still going, like you mentioned, but what's it been like with kind of this unprecedented situation? Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, it was just really crazy. Uh, I had, uh, I thought it was going to be kind of a slower year anyway uh, with the job market. It just felt that way. Uh, last year, it seemed like a bigger year. And so you just kind of thought, well, we'll see, you know, and, and uh, had some discussions with one school. Uh, we just didn't probably see eye to eye. Uh, so that they went in a different direction. I went in a different direction. I think that was probably best for both of us. And, and then all of a sudden I'm in studio and, and the coronavirus hits. And I remember leaving studio after um, first night of John Beeline and I were going to go down and have dinner. And, uh, and I was sitting there thinking to myself, as I walked out, I wanted to grab Quentin Carter and say, uh, who's, you know, one of the big bosses at BTN and I, Hey, now listen, I might be back next year. You're going to have me back. Right. You know, and uh, uh, because you just, you kind of, as an afterthought, like, I don't, I don't know how anybody can hire a coach. And, and right now you think if you just took a new job and you're trying to assemble a staff and move families, you can't do that. How, you can't have kids on campus. You can't go out and see recruits and your own team even. So it's a difficult time. I admire those guys that are trying to do it. And I'm, I'm probably uh, uh, fortunate that I don't have to try and pull that one off because that's a tough, tough deal to start. Yeah, someone like Mel Tucker at Michigan State football you know, now has to kind of recruit and build a program, like you said, without being able to get out and, uh, you know, bring, bring guys in and, and travel around the country. So you're right that, that maybe you dodged a bullet in that sense. Um, you also touched on your BTN duties being cut short. You know, I got to imagine that factors in the, to the disappointment a little bit because you didn't get a chance to work really alongside John Beeline for more than a day or so. I mean, he was in there and pretty much was kicked out as soon as he uh, got in our studio. Yeah, it was too bad. Coach Beeline's got such a great basketball mind and, and to, you know, go against him and then really be able to talk freely for the first time. You know, you never talk freely when you're a college coach because you're either hiding something about recruiting or you don't want to tell them everything about your, you know, your scheme or whatever, your ideas. But it was nice to be able just to sit down and talk freely with him. And those are kind of the best moments. And, you know, he's trying to figure out his move. I'm trying to this is the one time in my life I've had something in common with John Beeline uh, is that uh, we're both trying to figure out that next move. And, and that would have been a lot of fun uh, to, to uh, have him in, in studio and spend some time with Jess Settles and Mike DeCourcy and Ben Bruss stopped up too. So uh, it was, it was good. And then of course you got Revson and Pizzo and the whole group that way. So uh, it was a, it's a, it's a fun group to work with and, but boy, what a good tournament it was going to, you looked at that second round and a, it looked like two sets of semifinals, not, you know, not even quarterfinals. It looked like a great basketball on the way. So it's too bad it didn't happen, but it was for the right reasons. Right. Yeah. Huge bummer on that front. Um, it was probably your first full year being part of the media, wasn't it? Wasn't this kind of your first dive into the whole other side of the pool here? Yep. Yep. My first time without a basketball team since I was a little kid, you know, think of that 24 years as a head coach and right out of college, I got into uh, coaching graduate assistant, stuff like that. Even when I was in high school and college, I coached Little League, uh, baseball, Little League softball, you know, so you always had a team. And uh, I think that was the hardest part is not having that, that so-called team. And what I mean by that is that, you know, when you do games, you travel alone and you work with a play-by-play -play guy, but it's probably different from one night to the next night to the next night. And I've known a lot of them because they had done our games, but I didn't know them, you know, and, uh, so that, that was, that was the most interesting part. You know, usually you travel with your, your guys, your team and your staff. Now you're traveling alone. It's just a different dynamic. Uh, but I learned a lot. It was, a, it was great to be kind of away and just learn more about, you know, what's important to me, building a program, uh, uh, what I can tweak with offense and defense. And, and, you know, right now I'm putting together a video playbook for the first time I'm organizing all this stuff I've been hoping to organize for 15 years. And so now I get to do it. What would you say is easier, excuse me, uh, calling from the studio or like doing a studio show or calling games as a broadcaster or a color commentator? I, I think the technical part about being at the game and in the game uh, is, is harder for me. Um, I, I'm an easy conversationalist. I don't mind just talking and chatting it up and casually doing that way. And and I kind of thought maybe that's the way it was going to be 
with um, with play by or with play by play and, and broadcasting. So the analyst feature, the color feature of a game. So you're sitting there watching. Uh, I think the last game I did was uh, Iowa Minnesota. And, and there's a lot of delivery, you know, how your voice sounds. You know, I've got this raspy voice from being a coach and being up late at night and yelling and this, that, and the other thing. And it's just been that way for years. And I don't have a strong voice unless I'm pissed off, you know what I mean? <laughs> unless I'm really going after somebody. So it's different, you know, when I'm trying to, you know, you know, I, you know, I learn as I go, like these guys are actors. I mean, these play-by-play guys, they're sharp and they're delivering a line and they're, you know, building suspense and they're doing all these things. And, and like, for instance, uh, when play was over and we'd go to timeouts, I had no clue how to take us to break, you know? So they'd say in your ear, you have a, a producer in your ear and he'd say, uh, okay, coach replays. And you're just, you know, and then they start counting 12, 10, <laughs> You know, and I'm like, and uh, there you see Oturu, and uh, we got a good one coming tonight. Blah, blah, blah. I, I was just like, sometimes I'd be talking, all of a sudden, zip, it'd be that you'd just be off the air. And so, you know, there's a lot of little technical things that I think were harder than I expected, you know, doing the games, We're seeing the game. And that was the other part. Like, I would want to, you know, I, I'd be talking to a, a producer, like, hey, we need those. We need that highlight because they're going to run something else later. I know. And that's going to shoot into this. And then you'd never get it because they had to do an ad for Jeep Grand Cherokee. <laughs> you know I mean? So you'd want to do all this basketball schematic stuff. And that really, that doesn't happen that much, you know? And so that was hard for me too, uh, because what I wanted to do is not what I ended up doing. But what was great is sitting at half court in the front row of these great league games in the Big Ten and the Big East and being able to call games and see, for, you know, Miles Powell, first-team All-American, Luca Garza, first-team All-American, Daniel Oturu is a great player, uh, uh, Marcus Howard, uh, all, I mean, just all these dudes, you know, and all these great teams, to have a front-row seat for those is pr- pretty fun. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned kind of all the intricacies that goes into a broadcast. I don't have a TV background. I still don't really work much in that world and it, it's crazy to me kind of seeing behind the curtain a little bit how much goes into just one game that we kind of take for granted on tv so uh cool for you to be on the other side and also you know cool for you to stay around basketball because you touched on how you've never really been away from the sport from you know childhood on up so i was looking through your career and i want to touch on your, your path to to nebraska and beyond a little bit and just looking at your stops i mean you've coached at some like remote remote places on the map i mean I, going through it here northern state uh, Mayville State, I guess Northern State's where you played, Mayville State, Southwest Minnesota State, and you get a little more metropolitan by the time you get to North Dakota Fargo. State, Fargo, and then, <laughs> yeah. you know, you get to Fort Collins and Colorado State, and eventually, you know, by the time you get to Lincoln, it's like Manhattan. So I'm wondering, during your stops and kind of through your career path, what were some of the small town, like, quirks you enjoyed growing up coaching in some of those spots? Like, was your your mailman, also the sheriff at one point growing up, or how, how was that uh, dynamic? Yeah, well, I grew up in Dolan, South Dakota. There, there were, you know, 13 kids in my graduating class. There weren't 300 people in the town. In fact, when you came into Dolan, uh, there's a United States Highway, Highway 212, and then there's a state highway, Highway 37, that kind of intersects with it. And when you come in from the east, it says uh, population 306 people. When you come in from the west, it says, the sign says population 297. So there's nine missing people. <laughs> like, so that's Dolan right there. Like some drunk driver hits the sign. Uh, it's, you know, they order a new one from the prison or whatever the guys make it up. The census has changed. I forget about it. We're fine. So that, that's, you know, there was no cop, you know, in my town, which is probably best for me. Uh, got me through not being in juvenile detention. But, uh, you know, I just grew up with a lot of freedom. And as I started, I knew I wanted to coach at a young age. Uh, and when I became a head coach at the age of 28 uh, in Mayville, you know, there was not even 2,000 people in Mayville, Portland, not 600 students at the college. They had been 2-22 and 22 the year before we got there, 2-22 and 22 the year before that. We flipped it, we won right away, and it was really cool because it just captivated a whole area. And what's funny is I was 28 and some of those guys were, um, you know, closer to my age than they'd like to admit, you know, I got guys that are grandparents now, you know, and, and so it's just really ironic when you look at that, that guys you coach now, we have so much more in life, you know, uh, um, 
you know, life has just intersected so much that some of those uh, original teams are the guys that I'm really closest with uh, because we're so close in age. And so it's, it's a lot of fun that way. And it's been fun uh, to go there. Southwest Minnesota State was home of Schwann's ice cream. And, uh, and we actually were just going to Division Two. We had a great run there. But, but both Marshall, Minnesota, Aberdeen, South Dakota, Mayville, you know, are not like you have to want to get there. Like you just don't drive by those places by accident. So recruiting was always a bit of a challenge, but we were able to put together really strong teams. And, and then in Fargo, when we got to North Dakota State, of course, I got there and it was a good Division II job. And within seven months, we uh, declared our intent to go Division I. And everybody at that time had been getting fired through the transition. So I was just like a dead man walking, but we figured it out, put together a great team that was able to beat ranked teams, uh, beat Marquette and Wisconsin consecutive seasons, and uh, actually lost at Colorado State, 82-80. And uh, I think that's how I got the job. The AD liked the way we played. And we just came close enough that they were happy and, and uh, everything worked. I always kidded him on that. But then when I became the CSU coach and it was the Mountain West, you think of those stops, you go from being places like Mayville and Marshall and stopping in Morris and Crookston and Bemidji, Minnesota, and all these kind of outposts, Minot, North Dakota, Dickinson, and, and all of a sudden you're going to Las Vegas, San Diego, Salt Lake City, Provo, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, Albuquerque, Fort Collins. I mean, it was like, I thought I died and gone to heaven. You know, I mean, all these places would be like the best family trip we'd ever had growing up. So it was a lot of fun. It was a tough league. Uh, but I learned a lot. Steve Fisher, Lonnie Kruger were great to me back then. Steve Alford was in the league at New Mexico. Uh, and uh, we really uh, went through a lot of things and built a program uh, really from nothing. I mean, we started when I got there on day one. I took the job officially on, on April 1st, uh, 2007. Uh, word to the wise, uh, never take a job on April 1st. Right, I was say. <laughs> it's also okay for one day of pay. Just take it on the second. Uh, fun fact that I'll throw in there since you mentioned his name, uh, Steve Fisher was actually my dad's high school basketball coach and driver's ed teacher. Ah, yeah. He was stealing money on that driver's ed thing. <laughs> exactly. no, I, I'm just telling you. Exactly. So I always like to point that out if uh, Steve Fisher enters into the conversation. Uh, you I'll, kind of I'll tell him that. You partially answered, um, answered one of my follow-up questions there was, how did you recruit kids to places like that? And what were those visits like when you were kind of showing them around campus and around town? Yeah, it's funny because uh, at Mayville, I remember our, our roof leaked so bad. And at that time, I, had, I think my second year, I had Craig Smith with me. Uh, my first year, it was just me. Uh, my, uh, in terms of, I had some Tim Grove and Tim Kraft, a couple volunteer guys. Uh, Tim Grove was a student coach, uh, but we weren't able to pay those guys any money. Uh, and then Craig, I was able to just throw a few bucks at. Uh, he was just uh, done with college at University of North Dakota. But the roof would leak so bad going into our office that we had like a gigantic, you know, I don't know how big the trash is that you see, but it's one you'd see in the street or at a fair or something like that, you know, and that was trying to catch water. So literally we had to figure out where to meet a recruit and how to maybe show him the gym, uh, but really not show him anything. I mean, just, you, you really like would take detours throughout campus and, and uh, uh, the, yeah, because you couldn't show them the whole picture. And it was funny when I, in fact, when I got to North Dakota State, um, we lived in a, uh, I had a kid from Minnetonka. And if you know anything about the western suburbs of Minneapolis, it's very well-to-do. Orono, Minnetonka, Hopkins, all those guys is a, you know, a, a high-end district, let's put it that way. Um, so in Fargo, we played in this old um, field house in the roof leaked. It was tartan floor with a little bit of, we just threw on a wood floor on top of it wasn't very attractive, but we had drawings on a new arena. And uh, we recruited off those drawings for about five years. And one day I have a kid from Minnetonka in, and I'm talking to him and the weight room was on the second floor. And there's a group of people up there doing power cleans. So they're throwing the weight up, dropping it right above our, you know, right above me. Like, and all of a sudden a piece of plaster about yay big about, you know, the, uh, it was, it was, it was plenty big and like a cow pie big and comes falling down on the dad's on the dad of the recruit. And I just know we're not like, they're many talk. The guy's like a executive VP at 3M or something like this. They right. probably live in a house bigger than this gym. 
And uh, I'm like, we're not, getting, we're not getting this kid. He went to Cal Poly anyway. But I mean, just some of those things that happen, you just go, are you kidding me with this? And then, and then the last part about North Dakota State was one of my former players that I recruited, Freddie Coleman, eventually became an assistant coach at North Dakota State. And they, they had a grand opening for the arena. And he sent me a picture and he said, coach, you always promised this new uh, career would, uh, or this new arena would change my career. And you're right. I, I always thought you meant as a player, but you meant 11 years later when I was finally coaching. <laughs> Sorry, Freddie. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that's not as bad as, uh, as far as the recruit story goes, it's not as bad as that one parent. I think he got his finger like chopped off on a football visit because he got his hand caught in the um, foldable chair on one of those yes. chairs and, and they had to put it on ice. And I don't think that that player ever went to the school. Not only that, I think the dad like is suing whatever school that was right now. So, you know, you don't have the worst <laughs> parent. I think that was a big 10 school, wasn't it? I think, I thought it was sec, but I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah I think you're right. Yeah. Of course it's the sec. Georgia, what are you talking about? Georgia or something like that. So um, moving on, Tim, uh, you know, you actually touched on it briefly. When you beat Wisconsin in the Kohl Center in 2006 when you were uh, at North Dakota State, you know, they never lost at Kohl Center back then. They still rarely do. I think they only lost one game this year. One, how'd you pull that off? And two, how high was that win on your resume, you know, when you're circling back a few years later, interviewing for a Big Ten job, you know, pointing that out, you can get it done at Kohl Center? A uh, couple things about that game uh, that, are, that stand out to me. Because uh, Bo Ryan was the coach and had only lost three home games to non-conference teams in, in like nine years or whatever it had been. It was ridiculous. And, uh, and then the next year when we beat Marquette, it was Tom Crean, of course. We were both in the league at the same time when I got here. Now we're all out of the league, I guess, now that I think about it. But uh, so uh, we go in. It's an 11 a.m. game on a Saturday morning. And so we go in and we're up 16 at halftime. We're, and we started four freshmen. And we're, we're good, though. I mean, we had a really good team. I mean, like we lost to Bobby Knight at Texas Tech by three, lose by two at home to Bob Huggins in Kansas State, two, by two at Colorado State. Uh, you know, I mean, we were pretty good. You know, I think six or eight losses were by a, a basket. We were 20 and eight that second year. But, but this year was the year prior. And, and so we're up 16 and I remember coming out at halftime, you know, it takes about 40, 45 minutes to play a half of basketball. So as we came out, halftime, 15 minutes, it's winding down. It's literally 11.59 a.m. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I got up and I had a workout, had breakfast and a pot of coffee. We're up 16. I mean, it's been a hell of a morning. At a minimum, nobody can take this morning away from me. You know, I remember just looking up at the clock and thinking like, you know, this has been a great morning. I mean, and then we held, we held on. And so uh, we win the game. Next year we beat Marquette. So my first Big Ten meeting, I walk in and, and it's alphabetical order. I'm sitting right by Tubby Smith and, and Bo Ryan walks in and he, he chats it up. No big deal. Crean's right there. And he goes, uh, Coach Crean, you want some coffee? And, uh, and Crean says, yeah, 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 I'll have some coffee. And he said, and, and Bo says, Timmy, go get me and Karina a cup of coffee. You wouldn't be in this room if it wasn't for us. And I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> I'm on my way. <laughs> so I went and got him. I don't even know if Karina drinks coffee, but I mean, it was the whole idea, I think, to make me serve him. But I was glad. I was more than happy to do it. That is awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I want to get into your Nebraska days a little bit before we wrap up, and we'll go over some of your more specific moments for – the Twitter sphere for social media videos after we're done here. So definitely check those out if you're following Big Ten Network on Twitter. But uh, for the podcast, I want you to, if you could, just off the top of your head, go over some of your favorite memories from your time in Lincoln, something that stands out as far as, you know, a memorable team or, or player you had or a run or just a story like you just told us about uh, Bo Ryan. Because I know you have so many stories that go way back. And uh, just, you know, when you reflect on your time in Lincoln, what kind of jumps off the top of your head? Well, as, as you, you know, when you look back there, there's always games and, and events and, and different things like that. I, you know, you still love it when you have a, a young camper that's in your basketball camps that goes on to a college career or whatever it might be, or to see them having success. That's always really cool. Um, so some of those kids, you know, stand out to me, so to speak. Uh, 
and and some of the moments and of course the recruits and the people you come across staff and and all of those things and the coaches you, you come across and I, I think if you look at basketball wise uh one of the funnier things was um uh one was was uh we had we won consecutive so my first year we lost no 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 we didn't play so my next two years we won at breslin arena so now we missed then we skipped another year so it was 15 and 16 we won we didn't go 17 so i think it might have been 18 was the next time we were going to breslin arena and i said to uh tom Izzo, i said before the game because he would he would always sit out and watch warm-ups and i never would he goes, who the hell do you think you are, Bobby Knight? Get your ass out here. So I went out and, um, and sat with him, and, uh, and we talked. And, I, and so I said, Coach, you know, I, I got to tell you this. You know, I think I'm, I'm 2-0 in Breslin Arena. I, I said, you know, I win this one. I think I go right to the top of the all-time winningest coaches at Breslin Arena. You can imagine the, what, what the reaction that solicited uh, from coach, shut up, blah, blah, you know, and he knows I was teasing, of course, but then they, you know, had Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson. And so they beat us by about 30 uh, and didn't blink. And then they beat us the next two times too. So it, it, I should have kept my mouth shut, but I just couldn't resist. You only have one of those opportunities, you know. I do remember yeah. there always being shots of you and, and coaches of sitting on the bench usually before those games. Yeah. I know there was a story behind that, that he had a, uh, it beckoned you or summoned you over. Yeah, he'd summon me. So, and then, you know, I, I think when you come to, to Lincoln, I, I just some of those things, uh, uh, you know, about opening Pinnacle Bank Arena, closing Devaney Center. Uh, you know, I think we won the last two games in the Devaney Center at home against Iowa, Minnesota. When the Devaney Center opened, they actually lost their first two games, which were against Iowa and Minnesota, uh, which was ironic, you know, that we closed because they were in different leagues back then. But, uh, uh, you know, that, so and then opening to just such a, you know, I mean, opening night was crazy. We beat Dunk City in Florida Gulf Coast, uh, ran them out of the gym and only lost one game that season. And then at the end of the season, we beat a Final Four team. We called it No Sit Sunday, which actually we had just beat Michigan State. And we we're on a bus and one of my assistants says, hey, coach, I just got a Facebook message from my friend. He says, you know what we should do on Sunday is have No Sit Sunday. And, and it was funny because it was like, I'm like, yeah, no, you know, Sherlock, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I, that'd be great. So we actually just started it as a staff, like on Twitter. And then the department marketing people picked it up, kind of ran with it. But it wasn't really an organized thing. It was just some guy sent my assistant a message. Hey, that sounds fun. And um, I'm not even sure if it was a Lincoln guy or not that uh, contacted Harry. So we just started kind of organically. And it was probably one of the most electric atmospheres that I've ever been a part of and it was a late afternoon game and we won of course so that led into a uh, early <laughs> early morning or late morning I don't know it led into a deep night uh, but it was a lot of fun and uh, that was a fun team to coach and and uh, and there's just so many experiences like that uh, that were that were cool and 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 meet all the you know just every type of person you come across has, has always been a fun experience. Yeah, I swear you uh, so you got a sneak peek at my outline of questions here because so many of your comments are kind of leading into my follow-ups here. I was wondering if you, you know, did you bury anything under the Pinnacle Bank Arena? And, uh, you know, is that kind of the house that, that Tim built? Because you go down to downtown, or I guess in that Haymarket District in Lincoln, and it's such a nice area. Um, I'm, I'd imagine it's a pretty cool thing to kind of put on your legacy because that arena is, is really sweet. And um, glad you brought that up that it was, you know, a special part of your time there. Well, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you because it's right, classified. Exactly. So <laughs> we're just going to have to leave there, that there. But, um, you know, I, I think when you look at things, uh, you, uh, you certainly want to have a, leave a lasting legacy. And the one thing I thought that Pinnacle did, it was so well built. And we really worked hard to sell tickets, first of all. We traveled everywhere all the time, you know, whether it was speaking or whatever to try and get people in and, and the administration price pointed it to a way that it was affordable yet. And then the fans really showed up, even in the lean years. And, uh, and that place is still going strong, I know, but it's, um, uh, it, it was pretty cool to walk in every night knowing that actually there's 12 to 15,000 people there actually, you know what I mean? And because you could sell all the tickets you want, 
or you can have somebody buy all the tickets you want, but that doesn't, you know, and we were, you know, our actual crowds were just ridiculous. And, and um, that's something I think that, that I'll forever be indebted for. I, I think when we beat Iowa at home, my last regular season home game, you know, I was really upset. I mean, I, uh, just uh, when I say upset, I don't mean mad. I mean, uh, I was just upset. My temperament was because I knew I was getting fired. I knew this was going to be probably my last time in Pinnacle Bank Arena. I had no, you know, no idea what was going on. There's Sammy. Get up, Sammy. You get that doorbell. So, uh, uh, so we, um, uh, you know, so that was really hard. I remember being in tears walking off the floor, and. And then, uh, of course, we got to come back and, and play Butler, and we beat Butler. And I was just so much more relaxed that night and was just enjoying it. And it was, it was such a fun way to go out that way, too. So those two moments also really uh, stay with me, uh, uh, being part of Pinnacle Bank Arena. Yeah, you did it again. You kind of preempted uh, one of my questions because I, I know you had mentioned it on our air. And maybe this is a story or like a, you know, a legend that is well-known among Nebraska fans. And I just – uh, I'm not as plugged in, but I was curious how soon you knew you were going to be let go before uh, the end of the season at Nebraska. And, and, you know, when you found out that changed your approach at all, obviously it changed your temperament, like you just mentioned, but when did you find out and how did you approach the rest of the season once you kind of knew? Well, I wasn't notified until after the season, until two days, two and a half days at the conclusion of the season. But, you know, it's really kind of what a guy doesn't say as opposed to what he does say. So you could read the tea leaves. That's how I knew. When I say I knew, it was my gut that knew. But, but nobody ever gave me a reason uh, uh, to cling to any other thought process, you know, administratively. So, you know, we probably knew we were on the hook if things didn't go extremely well when we only got a one-year extension the year before. And then we had had the, you know, best regular season of all time at Nebraska. And they only gave us a one-year extension when we had three laying out there that were possible. So... I wasn't expecting three, but I was hoping to get two. And when it only went with one, it was just kind of like a, okay, <laughs> yeah, I get it. So uh, then when Copeland got hurt and things started going, you know, we had a rough patch. We had, you know, two, well, three uh, season-ending injuries. Uh, and, um, and then at the end, we were down to, what, five, six scholarship guys. But the coaching those guys were a blast. I mean, we had, I think one of the funniest parts where we had, James Palmer, Glenn Watson, and Isaiah Rolby, who are, you know, pros right now. Uh, two of them may play in the NBA. Uh, I said, okay. I said, the big three need to get me 60, 65 points each game. I said, now you other three need to get me eight. And um, Tanner Borkhardt, who is a former walk-on, says, well, coach, I know the, the big three is the team that the guys are going to get you eight. Because if you don't get those eight, you're not winning. <laughs> And I'm like, you're right. You're right. And it was just one of those fifth year senior kids that, you know, is, you know, great. And Tanner's a guy that lost, you know, 45 pounds, changes his whole body composition, really, you know, I mean, became this whole different personality in terms of more outgoing and more committed to competence and, and those sorts of things. So it was Johnny Trueblood, Thorier, Thorbjarnison, and, uh, and Tanner Borkhart were the big three. And then those other schmucks had to get a 65. <laughs> and really, it was kind of a liberating way to play. Just like, hey, you guys know when to get out of their way. Uh, you guys just keep facilitating and moving the way you need to. And, uh, and, and, and really, we, I mean, we lost at TCU because Roby played 11 minutes and actually got tossed uh, for a flagrant foul or something like that. And we lost to Wisconsin in a really good game. We were down two with the ball with – minute 50 to go and so uh they bank in a three reavers does with a couple minutes left and uh we we johnny trubot gambles and then gets switched on trice who hits a three which is a matchup we didn't want but it happens and uh and so i mean just a couple plays here or there we might have been in the semifinals playing michigan state which would have yeah. been really great for that team yeah i mean you guys had a, a heck of a run too in that in that uh, big 10 tournament um i want to follow up with one more question before we move on to our, our little video segment we're going to do. And that's kind of the post Nebraska situation that you're in. You, you talked about the coaching search at the beginning of the, the interview, but I feel like your personality and just your, you know, your easygoing nature has done you a lot of favors, I'm sure over your career, but like even now, like you said, you're living in Lincoln. I doubt at the grocery store, anyone's throwing tomatoes at you or anything like that. And uh, you know, that's the good job that you did there 
uh, during your tenure aside. And then it, it carried over to being kind of a natural fit on the TV side of things during this past year. So have you always kind of just been this like open, cheery guy? Is there any element of strategy to it? Or is this just, uh, you know, kind of your, your natural self and you just kind of let it fly? I think that's a scary part that it's my natural self. I, I just don't curse as much on live TV. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, who you see is who you get. I probably mellowed a little bit as a coach. I used to be a lot more uh, difficult to play for. Uh, I think I'm still not, I still coach them hard. Uh, probably not Tom Izzo hard, but pretty hard. And that's not always found that favorable this day, but, but competing well and playing basketball a certain way, uh, is something that I'm very demanding of. But then once I walk off the floor, I'm way more casual and, 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 uh, and you see that more of that natural personality kind of pan out. Now, some, some parts of the coaching job, you can, you know, uh, for media, you might, you know, like, uh, you know, there might be bits you do, you know, you might say, all right, you know, uh, these guys are on my case. You know, and it feels like I'm in this movie, so I'm going to do this press conference and I'm going to throw out like three things and see if anybody figures it out. You know, I mean, just a, so there might be some actor in there somewhere, but truly, uh, you know, when it comes to being on podcasts, uh, we have our own Miles Moore Madness on The Athletic uh, uh, with CJ Moore or uh, doing TV. I, I think it's, it's an easy transition and, and uh, probably because I was the youngest of five growing up. So I was a attention seeker. So I had to find my own way to get attention uh, in that big family. And, and, uh, and so that's uh, made it easier to uh, be under the spotlight, so to speak. Awesome. Well, Tim, that'll conclude the podcast portion of the, uh, of our interview here. Appreciate you taking a ton of time with me, sharing some awesome stories and, you know, hopefully selfishly, I hope you stick with us for another year. So sorry on the, uh, the basketball side of things, but we like you on the media side too much. Thank you very much, Alex. All right. Thanks once again to Tim Miles for joining me. Really appreciate him taking the time. Enjoyed getting to know him during his first year at BTN and um, wish him the best of luck, whether he returns to the sidelines this upcoming year or sticks with us for another year, uh, whatever the future holds for him. Can't wait to see what's next for him. And I'm sure once he does return to the sidelines, uh, whatever team gets him, will be getting a good one. So Thanks a lot to Tim, and we'll toss it over now to Bill Friedman. I introduced uh, him at the top of the show briefly. Bill is a senior coordinating producer of BTN Originals at Big Ten Network, and he's a guy who's been in the sports industry for quite a while. He was at ESPN for quite a while before coming over to BTN and has been a uh, leader and supervisor for original shows of BTN, as I mentioned, uh, The Journey, which a lot of Big Ten fans, I'm sure, have seen. It's the very high-quality documentary series at BTN focusing on football and basketball season. But he's oversaw or overseen other shows and productions as well. Uh, if you've seen The Big Story, The Big Trip, the Big Moment, lots of B1G-branded uh, <laughs> content there, but they include documentary series on... Um, summer trips like this past year they went with Nebraska overseas with their basketball team and, and followed them around made a documentary about it um, did a, an awesome documentary about Iowa wrestler Alex Marinelli and his um, heartbreaking story you saw that this past fall and, and just over the years there's been a lot of really good stuff to come out of the BTN Originals corner of Big Ten Network First Dance is another one that came out in the last few years about Northwestern basketball's first appearance in the NCAA tournament. So there's been all kinds of really high-quality content that BTN's produced over the years, and, and Bill Friedman has a lot to do with it. So he hops on and talks about uh, quite a bit of journey content that has come across his desk over the years, and he's overseen. And we also get into how he's gotten creative working with our programming team to get his shows back on the air, give fans a chance to watch something on TV from a fresh perspective and um, really, you know, try and make the best of this unique situation. So I'll turn it over to Bill Friedman now. As I said, senior coordinating producer at BTN. The interview starts right now. 
Very pleased to be joined by Bill Friedman. And Bill, I don't want to mess your title up, so you'll have to help me out in just a second. But uh, in some capacity, you're the director of original content or originals at BTN. Fix or correct me on that so uh, so I don't mess it up because people mess my title up all the time. No problem, Alex. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And uh, my official title is Senior Coordinating Producer of BTN Originals at the Big Ten Network. All right. I wanted you to introduce that because, uh, one, I'm too lazy to go to LinkedIn. And two, you know, I wanted you to, to gas yourself up a little bit. And it's cool to, uh, to talk to you on a day-to-day basis at the office. Obviously, things are a little bit different now. But growing up, I was always somebody who watched Big Ten Network and watched the journey. And then, you know, when those worlds kind of collided, when I got the job at Big Ten Network, uh, kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit. And I've enjoyed learning about what goes into all the uh, original production of BTN, especially BTN Journey. So excited to get into that a little bit on this, uh, during this discussion. And uh, just off the top, Bill, how are you doing and how are you kind of handling this shift in our everyday lives here? Alex, we're doing really well. You know, uh, my wife and I are both working from home here in, in, in downtown Chicago and, uh, you know, trying to, to um, continue to be a content creator for the network. And, you know, we've been able to, to do some things. Our, our team has been great at adapting, you know, uh, you know, a lot of credit to, to the originals team for coming up with the ideas for things like in their words, which is a little Twitter series that we've been able to put out where we've reached out to some of the athletes whose careers were uh, ended prematurely and coaches whose seasons were ended prematurely and get their thoughts and, and put those together to kind of have a consistent narrative. Um, and then working on some longer term projects that, that will, you know, continue to provide content and uh, entertainment for, for BTN fans. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what we're doing here on the podcast as well. And it's interesting. Um, you know, people might be listening that might not even know what the journey is, although I hope they do because they'll be missing out if they didn't. But if you could just explain what your role is and what it entails, you know, even when things aren't kind of crazy and hectic when we're all in the office and uh, expand on that and explain how things have shifted now that we are all uh, bound in our homes here. For sure. I mean, I think the best way to explain BTN Originals is to take kind of a, a macro view of the, of the network's content, right? The, there's obviously the live games, which is the, the, you know, the backbone of what we do at BTN and obviously a, a, a massive and terrific studio production group as well that provides some very valuable shoulder programming uh, in and around games and on a regular basis. And then, and then my group Originals is kind of the, it's a, I view it as a kind of a boutique and we, we're, um, you know, primary focus is storytelling, um, documentaries, documentary series, um, episodic programming, uh, and, and to provide some variety on the programming grid um, that, that, you know, isn't as game-based uh, or as news-based as, as, as what our studio and, and, original, and our remote groups do so well. So that's kind of what, what the, the macro view of what we do. And, and on a micro, you know, we have a, a small team. We have three full-time producers and a full-time editor. Uh, we use a, a number of other people as well who, um, you know, are, are basically storytellers. And they're producers, they're interviewers, they're editors, they're the whole, uh, you know, they're, they're five tool players, to use a baseball analogy in my mind. And, you know, we brainstorm good ideas to come up with, uh, ideas for shows like The Journey, uh, The Big Story, which is a brand that we launched last year, and, and other individual projects as we move through the year. Yeah, and we were talking off the air a little bit about this, and obviously these issues and, and complaints pale in comparison to the real-world effects of what's going on with coronavirus and, and the implications there. But I know you and I were just kind of not bummed out necessarily, but but – disappointed because it's tough to be out of the office and and not have some people to talk sports with every day and and that human interaction that we give especially with people that are as passionate about sports as we are and also I think we're similar in the fact that we both love to travel and get to sporting events and and be on site and kind of soak in the atmospheres that college athletics provides so have you been able to adjust to that and and kind of keep the uh the fill of sports content coming into your day-to-day life for sure. And, and you, you're so right on that, Alex. Like one of the things that I think people who don't work in our industry don't really get is kind of the atmosphere around the office. And, and that to me is such a intoxicating vibe, you know, like I really enjoy walking through the hallways and knowing who people's favorite teams are and, and just, you know, finding out what do they know, you know, nobody follows the favorite teams better than, than the, the, the passionate fan. 
and you know, I'd like to think if people wanted to know something about the Cubs, they might come ask me a question. I'd probably know it a little bit better and, and, and so on with, with other people who have, are fans of other teams. And I, I, I love that. And I learn from that. And I, and I, it, it really, you know, energizes me. So that's been an adjustment. I mean, obviously there's texting and phone calls and zoom meetings and, and the like, and, um, I've had many of those and, and yeah. And you, you brought up another thing of just, we're, we're, we're homebound and, you know, I've been for, I've been in the business 24 years, been blessed to be in the business 24 years and I've traveled a lot, a lot of places. And I was thinking to myself the other day, it's probably going to be the longest I've ever gone in my life without being on an airplane, you know, or, or at a hotel. I mean, I just, I, that's what it is. But, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, those are, you know, those are inconsequential, uh, you know, inconveniences uh, right now. And, you know, really just trying, you know, my wife and I are just trying to, to do our part and to be, you know, to follow the guidance that the CDC gives and be, be, you know, very smart about our day-to-day activities. And I feel we're doing that. Yeah. You mentioned the office dynamic. I think we do take, or at least I try not to take for granted that it's not like a normal office where sports are the distraction from day-to-day life, the old cliche of the, the water cooler. Like we live it every day, but it's still fun. It doesn't get old. Like you said, to talk about sports with your your colleagues especially if you're kind of breaking it outside the big 10 world talking professional sports or whatever the story of the day might be if it's the cubs i know we've talked plenty about the cubs uh since since i started at btn you're right i do go to you for for uh, some perspective or analysis but bill I'm, I'm curious now because i've seen you know kevin the curtain pulled back a little bit and, and seen how we've adapted as a network to the situation the ways we've had to get creative with what's going on tv a lot of people who either friends or acquaintances of mine and have asked me, you know, what are you doing now at work that all sports are canceled? And I've kind of explained to them, well, now that we're not really making that much new original content that goes on air, the funnel is kind of shifted almost exclusively to digital. And a lot of the stuff that we're putting out on social media is pretty much what we are making at, uh, at the network as a whole. However, We've gotten creative with our programming, whether that's airing old games or showing uh, NCAA tournament clips or whether it comes to your side of the, uh, the company and gets you guys involved in the BTN Originals arena. So can you explain how you guys have strategized and what you guys are getting on air? I know you guys have a special series coming up here, I believe this weekend. So if you get into that and explain what people can, can tune to, especially uh, in the very immediate future here. For sure. I mean, I think for us, I, I try to look at it as a, as a two-pronged path, right? There's the, there's the short term. What can we put out on a regular, pretty much day-to-day basis that, that you know, adds some original storytelling to the network's digital offerings, right? So that's what I, met, I referenced earlier with the In Their Words series. We did a, a fun compilation video with fan submissions. We set that to the Journey Music. That was, that was a nice little thing. I think you'll see other little stunts like that that come and go when we're, you know, we have a good idea, let's try to execute it. And then there's long-term planning, right? Which is um, one of the things that we can provide is, is, is taking and producing more classic games for, for uh, our BTN audiences. We have a massive library of old games and we've, we've obviously cut down many of them that already air on our network, but there's several, several dozen great games, hundreds, I would say great games that we just haven't had the chance or the ability to cut down. So our team is, probably going to dig in to that quite a bit here in the coming weeks. And, and then the third thing is how can we be creative with programming some of the things we've already done? And that's what's coming up this weekend and what I'm really excited about. I work with, with Tommy Teal on our programming side, big Purdue fan. Um, you know, he's a White Sox fan to, to my Cubs fan foil. So we, 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 we have some good discussions in the office and he and I just kind of brainstormed, like, you know, we've got, we've done a lot of storytelling, about all these great Big Ten athletes while they were in, in, on campus. And so many of them have gone on to distinguished careers in the NBA and the NFL, because we're you know, primarily focused on football and, and basketball here at BTN from a storytelling standpoint. And so we thought, boy, wouldn't it be cool if we could pair games that these college players had good performances in, memorable performances, with some of that journey episodes when we profiled, maybe went back to their hometown or talked to their coaches or families uh, and paired those together in kind of programming blocks, if you will. And so we, we were able to create a full day of basketball and a full day of football. And it's coming up this weekend and just really excited. A lot of great names. You know, I'll, I'll kind of run through a few few of them for you here. 
uh, Alex, you know, we got on the basketball side, Mo Wagner, Denzel Valentine, Myers Leonard, Etwan Moore, D'Angelo Russell, Frank Kaminsky, Draymond Green, Victor Oladipo, uh, Miles Bridges, Caleb Swanigan, Romeo Langford. It's a pretty good roster. There are a couple others we, we thought about, but you know, maybe we'll do another one of these days as, as the time rolls on. And then for football, Shalik Calhoun, David Blau, Justin Jackson, Paris Campbell, Jabril Peppers, Dwayne Haskins, Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, Saquon Barkley, Amir Abdullah, Desmond King, James White, and Chase Winovich among you know, it's a pretty good roster to start from. And I, I'm really interested to, to hope that fans, you know, bunker in for that and, and can enjoy, you know, anywhere from 60 to maybe 60 minutes to two, three hours in a row of programming that feature these great Big Ten athletes. Yeah, so which days can people tune in or set their DVRs to check that out? Let me get that up for you because I want to make sure I give the exact right time. Yeah, no worries. And a lot of big names there, like you said, and, and it is kind of crazy sometimes to reflect – on the last 10, 11, 12 years of the journey since BTN's inception and, and see, you know, some, some guys that are on the biggest stages ever now in, in the NFL or NBA that have passed, you know, kind of through that, uh, that journey series. It's, it's amazing. Um, so, so, so to be clear, the basketball sh- uh, will begin at 6 a.m. bright and early on a Saturday, April 4th, and the football will begin at the same time the next day, 6 a.m., and it's literally uh, 24 hours of programming each day. So it's, it's wall-to-wall, marathon style, and uh, please feel free to, um, you know, to watch as, many, as much of that as you want. The, the schedule can be found, obviously. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll tweet that out here in the coming days of who's going when, and it can be found on uh, btn.com as well. For, for sure, yeah. And I touched on it briefly uh, when I introduced you, but I do remember you know, watching Big Ten Network growing up and watching the journey. And since I was somebody who grew up following Illinois sports almost exclusively, you know, I, I, I would always want to see when those athletes were featured. And I would search on YouTube sometimes if I missed the episodes or forgot to DVR it. And, you know, sometimes I found clips, sometimes I didn't. And I feel like the convergence of digital content uh, relating to your show and its availability on the internet kind of coincided with uh, around the time I got to BTN, I think it was 2016 or 17 when, you guys made a conscious decision to start putting these episodes and these features for free uh, online on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and, and across digital and social media platforms. So how did that decision come about? And what are the benefits do you think of making all of these great stories, you know, accessible beyond the TV screen? It's a great question, Alex. And I, and I can, I can certainly share some, some, background on that you know we had kind of internal discussions as a company and I, I i give a lot of credit to our former president mark silverman who who saw this coming and he he, he well, i will never forget he told me one time think of originals as a as, as yourself as a digital content creator that also airs on television and and that really opened my eyes and our show is the journey is almost uniquely you know it, it's it's so easy for it to fit both realms. You know, it's a, it's a great watch, obviously, as a 30-minute television show. But the show is made up of two to three to four-minute elements, which is kind of the sweet spot, right, for, for viewing on digital. So if you just think of our show as like six to seven to eight Legos that we string together for television, but then we can break them all off into smaller Legos that we can put out on our digital and social channels, um, it's a great way of doing it because as we're learning – there's still a sizable number of people who consume the content on the linear network, but there are also a lot of people that will consume it on the digital side and in, in kind of a strange, uh, strange way. I, I think it's helped both platforms and I don't think either one has cannibalized the other in any way, shape or form. And it's great to see, you know, I think the putting it out on digital helps promote the, the, the linear airing, of course, but um, you know, having it on television and re-air for people that miss it or want to watch it in its entirety, as opposed to, and snackable sizes is also available. So it, it, I just look at it as the more, the more places our content lives, the better the likelihood people are going to have the chance to consume it and hopefully they'll enjoy it. And I think the, the metrics show that. Yeah. And, and, you know, that would have been the strategy when I was in high school, college, looking for these clips. Um, I, I would have definitely loved that. And even though I got, you know, my, my fill of it a little bit to a degree um, now you can, like we talked about pretty much find every episode you can find every episode on YouTube. And, and we usually align the release on social media 
with the weekly uh, premieres of, of each episode. So it's been a lot of fun because we get a little screener now every week of the journey content and then we get to kind of decide how it goes out. So it's been a lot of fun. And, and one thing that stuck out to me this year uh, was your episode on Northwestern basketball player, Boo Booey. And, you know, I know you talked about this with one of our other colleagues on another little digital short that was sent out within the company, but I also noticed it when it came out at the time because I was kind of screening it and getting ready to, to distribute it on social media. And for me, it was the perfect encapsulation of what the show is and how it's kind of stayed consistent and, and true to its original form because what happened in the episode was Boo Booey uh, was featured and his brother, Taylor Battle, was the star for Penn State eight or nine years ago. And you had done a feature 10 years ago and he did a feature nine, nine, on nine, nine, nine. nine years ago. He did a feature on, uh, on Taylor at the time and did a feature on boo this year. And you strung old footage together into the episode and it kind of seemed like one seamless episode. Like you, the, the show has had the same look and feel across 10 plus years. And it was a testament to how you guys have, have remained consistent and were able to dig up old footage and, and, and string it back in with, this current uh, feature on Boo Booey. So if you kind of talk about that process, I don't know if that's what you guys were going for, but you certainly accomplished it. And I thought it was just a really cool kind of full circle moment for, uh, for your show and, and I'm sure for that family as well. No doubt, Alex. And it, it was something too where I think we realized how long we've actually been doing this. You know, it's, this was our 11th basketball season and eighth football season, you know, probably creeping up on the 200 episode mark right now between the two sports. But yeah, it was, it was a real kind of unique moment for us where Taylor had been someone who was a, just a terrific kid, a terrific character for us in 2011. Penn State had a great run at the Big Ten tournament. The, their coach at the time, Ed DeCellis, was a wonderful guy, is a wonderful guy, and uh, you know, gave us a ton of access. And we were able to you know, really get to know Taylor and his family throughout that whole process. And you know, when we had been at his senior day earlier that year, um, Kevin Shaw, who was our producer, for that piece had filmed some footage of his brother and his family. And lo and behold, nine years later, here's his brother as a big 10 player at Northwestern. And we thought, well, geez, when they go, we looked at the schedule, I'm scrambling to look at the schedule. Like, are they at Penn state this year? Are they at Penn state? And sure enough, they were. And we said, well, that's the week we got to do it. And, you know, we'll see, maybe, you know, you got to think, well, Taylor will probably go to that game. We don't know, but we asked and sure enough, he was, and his mother was going, who had been a character nine years ago. And for us to dig up that footage, um, you know, two things. I mean, one, I think it speaks to the, to the uh, attention to detail that our entire crew has. And that is, don't just, don't just film for what you're trying to get done that day. Film things that look interesting to you. Take those chances. Stay late. Stay after the game. Capture all this stuff. And then we're, we're maniacal, and I, you know, from top to bottom on our staff about saving stuff. You know, and, and to me, your, your, your archive is one of the most valuable assets a network can have. And it gives you the opportunity to tell stories like this. And as we're finding out in this era with no games right now that, you know, you have assets to put on the air. So I think it's great that BTN has embraced the, the archiving process. And, and uh, you know, that was, that, this was some of the fruits of that labor was seeing Boo Booey as a nine-year-old when, you know, and then nine years later, you're seeing him on the same floor playing basketball. Pretty crazy. Yeah, it was cool. Um, are there any other episodes or interactions you had with coaches or players or families of coaches and players that have stuck out to you over the years? Um, you know, I can remember a handful and, 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 you know, you guys have been at the forefront covering some of the most iconic and special moments in Big Ten sports. So what are some that stick out to you when you uh, reflect on what you guys have done so far? Well, it's a lot. I'm, I'm sitting here with my little grid that, that has a – I'll hold it up for you here, Alex. Got, you know, every player that we've ever featured on the show. But uh, a couple that do stick out. I mean, you here, I'll give you an Illinois one. Obviously, when uh, 2012, Myers Leonard, great big man. I think he was at Illinois for two years and then went pro. And currently, I think it's with the Miami Heat. Um, you know, kid from small town in Illinois. His brother was in the military at the time. And we knew that his brother was overseas. And we had spoken to the Illinois uh Derek Burson, their SID, who's terrific. And I kind of told him, I was like, if the brother ever comes back, like, let us be, you know, tell us what we, we'd love to capture that moment. And 
it was right before the Big Ten tournament, and Derek gives us a buzz, and he's like, "If you, this is going to happen. You can't tell anybody. And, you know, we went down there and got an interview with the brother about an hour before he heads over to the arena and we scurry over to the arena. Matt Angle was our producer on that shoot. And, you know, we captured one of the, you know, most powerful moments we put on YouTube with five, six million views a week later, the today show and, and good morning America and all those morning shows are calling us, asking us for the footage. I mean, it was a really eye opening experience, very powerful moment, very real. And I think that's a word that I think our entire team really focuses on is that we, we want to capture real moments. We want to be authentic. And this was one that was going to happen. And so, so we were there. Uh, another good story just to share this one is, wasn't anything in our episode, but I think it speaks to the quality of the, the athletes in the Big Ten. Um, when Draymond Green was a senior at Michigan State, we were in Indianapolis covering the 2012 uh, Big Ten tournament, which Michigan State and Draymond went on to win. And they played their first game, I think it was against Iowa, and they, they, they won by a comfortable margin. And at the end of the game, somebody noticed that Draymond like scurried down the bench to talk to Tom Izzo, and he said something in his ear, and that was that. And I was in the post-game locker room and we're getting an interview with Draymond Green. Everybody's piled on top of each other and holding up microphones. And, and one of the local reporters says to Draymond, hey, what did you tell Tom, Coach Izzo, at the end of the game? And Draymond goes, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I knew there was a guy on our – and I forget the kid's name. Uh, he played in nine games, and I knew he needed to play in ten games to get a letter. And I thought to myself, wow, like who thinks about that? And, you know, none of us knew. We all knew Draymond Green was a great player. We, we didn't know he was going to be a multi – you know, NBA champ, multi-time NBA champion and an all-star and all those things that he's gone on to be. I thought he'd be a, a very effective NBA player, but I, I was, uh, you know, been impressed by what he's been able to do. But I, I think that speaks to the chemistry and the leadership that someone like that brings to the table. It just always sticks out to me as one of my favorite stories that I was just like, how does that kid think about that in the moment and know that? And that's why I think you see the people on Draymond's team, they're very loyal to him because they know that he cares about them. Yeah, it's cool stuff. And Bill, before I uh, let you go, if you'll allow me to make one suggestion to uh, improve my uh, consumption experience of your show, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Uh, Please. All right, I'm gonna let you have it here. You need more piano. Piano <laughs> tune is what identifies and symbolizes the BTN Journey show for me. And you know, I hear that that tune not so much in football season, but you know, early January when Journey Basketball is about to get started up and I, I hear that tune either on the air or on, on social media, I know it's basketball season and it's nostalgic for me. So I noticed sharing those uh, those clips this year all season long, piano's kind of fading away a little bit and you guys are not using it as much as I'd like. So if that's my one contribution to your, your show and, and your baby here, please take heed of that and, and get it in uh, to the 2020 football and 21 basketball series, seasons of the journey. Duly noted, uh, Alex, I think I will now begin calling you the piano man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just a lot, just a little nugget on that. Like that we, we did when we started the show, um, we had an original music. That's original music that's, that was composed for the show by a, a fine composer named Alan Perrow, who lives out in Los Angeles, does a lot of movies and scores. We've been in touch with him through a connection through one of our staff, one of those producers on the show. And so uh, I'm sure he'll be, be happy to hear it. He works at a place called Gramoscope Music now, but Alec is a terrific, terrific composer and his music has been a big part of building the brand of the show so he deserves he's kind of a guy that i don't think anybody knows uh a lot of people at btn don't know who he is but uh, you know for, for our hardcore fans um, that's your guy and, and he's terrific and uh, we will certainly try to add more piano as the when the story uh, warrants it i think i'll have uh the podcast producer dub the song over uh our conversation here at the very end just so listeners can know what i'm talking about I love it. It's it's as recognizable as the the March Madness music at CBS. So um, glad you're you're taking that to heart. Bill, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, Stay healthy and sane. I know, uh, you know, we're both itching to get back outside and uh, in the front row at sporting events here soon. But uh, I appreciate you you jumping on and filling us in on what's coming up uh, in your neck of the woods and, and on BTN. Thanks, Alex. It's been great to be on. And anytime you want to just have a talk sports or what's going on while we're while we're here, and you know, please bring me back. I, I love talking sports. Anytime. Sounds good. We'll do. All right. Thanks once again to Bill for joining me. Anyone at BTM will tell you that. 
Bill is always ready for a conversation, so I knew he was ready to, uh, you know, give me some good stuff on the podcast for the last 20 minutes or so. Um, and if you've ever met him, you know that uh, he is not shy and will talk and sometimes argue sports with you uh, until you tap out. So appreciate Bill for jumping on. Really fun conversation with him. And, uh, you know, he did, he did pretty well considering he had to follow Tim Miles. So appreciate both Tim and Bill for contributing to the show today. Hope everyone out there is staying safe, staying healthy, staying sane, and uh, staying indoors if, if your uh, situation allows it. And hopefully this content is providing welcome distraction um, from the chaos that's going on in the world. So need to give a special shout out to my producer as well, Julie Bronder. Working from home, working hard as always, and, and stitching this together. Appreciate her. Thanks again to everyone for listening. And we'll talk to you very soon here on the Take 10 Podcast.